0: just checked it too. That was the thing. That was the problem. If you don't check it, it works. If you check it, it doesn't. Hey, good morning. So glad you guys are here. Uh, Thanks for being such an accepting community. We love it. My name is Kurt. I'm the lead pastor around here and it's great to see you all again. We missed you last week. Uh, We took a little family vacay so it was fun for us but uh, it's great to be back home with you. So thanks for joining us. We are wrapping up our series that we've been in in July called Irresistible. Like Michael has said, looking at the irresistible life, and not only did Jesus model, but he invited us to follow, and it's been such an exciting, exciting series, and today's been such an exciting day, the nine o'clock was absolutely incredible, Uh, we're believing for no less for today, so thanks for being here, Uh, if you didn't miss any of the weeks, you can always check out our podcast, uh, subscribe to it, or go to our live stream page on our website, and catch up, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, today we're talking about the idea of irresistible acceptance, how Jesus actually modeled a life that accepted people that were so unlike him it kind of drove some people crazy and it invites he invites us to follow that same pattern and so as we begin today uh, i actually realized that i'm gonna uh, need some volunteers for a little illustration so anybody like to volunteer if not i will volunteer you myself so uh, i got some finger pointing over here i want to get you guys volunteer I'll get you guys to volunteer, you point at other people, so come on up, uh, and uh, one of you guys, I'll let you guys duke it out. I need five volunteers, so two, you two, and one of you, we'll see how this goes. All right, so come on up, now is the time, come on up, I know it's hard, you can't see through the glasses, I need one more, Luke, come on up, Luke, come on up. All right, perfect, here we go, there we are, right, give them a round of applause, perfect, perfect. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you go with them. Uh, and Tim, you're going to stay with me. Purpose. here's going to do. So I need you four to form a circle. Very simple. You form a circle, uh, and, and Tim, your job is I'm going to give you five seconds to. You guys figure out how you want to do this. Uh, get into the middle of that circle. That's going to be your. That's going to be your task. And so they're they're doing something. Here we go. They're oh good. They're forming an alliance. Here we go. All right. So um, so I'm going to give you five seconds. Super simple. All you got to do is get into that circle. All right. So you help me count it down. On your mark, get set, go. Five. Four, three, Tim is not trying very hard, one, zero, okay, great, uh, maybe I should have chosen Luke to try to get in, but you, 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 gave it, you gave it a shot, I wouldn't say it's your best shot, you gave it a shot, uh, you must have been on vacation this week, so we're glad you're back, we're working our way back in, okay, so here's the deal, your, uh, your instructions were very, very clear, right, you were to get into that circle, you didn't make it, uh, did I ever at any point tell you guys to keep him out of the circle? Oh, Oh, again, and and it's not, they're not bad people, right, if this is church, right, I should have given you some more more ground rules, but this is, this is so often, perhaps even unintentionally, unintuitively, that we accidentally do, when we create a circle, when we have a community of people, uh, that we can find ourselves wanting to enjoy it and experience it for ourselves, and either on purpose or by accident, leaving other people out of that circle. And again, it's not because they're bad. I'm the bad guy. This was a setup, right? This is is what we're doing. But so often the reason that's true is not because our circles are bad or that what we have on the inside of that circle is wrong. It's usually a very good thing, but far too often our circles are simply facing the wrong direction. All right, so can we give them a big round of applause? Thanks so much. You guys have a seat. Great job. Hopefully, I don't cause any fights later. Uh, But here's the deal. And what we're looking at today is this idea of how do we create better, more transformative circles in our lives. Ones that not only transform us, but actually transform the lives of those around us. Those that we are in proximity with, those that we know, those that we work with, and even those that we might attend church with. And so that's why we did that. Because we want to find better circles. Because that little, you know, you know demonstration, that happens in our life, right? We all have moments in our life. and it's funny here we, you know I didn't give all the rules, but but when it happens on the schoolyard lunch table or on the playground as a kid, it, it happens in your office, it happens in your neighborhood. Uh, and, and it can be in small, subtle ways or it can be very overt ways. and in seasons in our history as a, as a community, as a nation, even here in San Diego, in, in church life, there have been many, many times where we have bumped into, barriers and categories that we create that create sides that put some people on the inside and some people on the outside. And you've probably experienced both, as have I. And yet what's so important that we're going to look at today is whenever, whatever circle it might be, that you find yourself on the inside of a circle, oftentimes you don't realize, you don't even realize that you're on the inside and that there are people on the outside trying to get in. Sometimes we don't even realize it. And so what we're looking at today is this idea that what if when it came to our faith, when it came to these transformative circles, when it came specifically to our church and how we live our lives, not just here on Sunday, but the rest of your Monday through Saturday life, what if we became more concerned with who's in and less concerned with who's out? What what if you and me individually, And collectively became the types of people, because we are following Jesus, that we are more concerned with who's in and less concerned with who's out. What if we were able to shift our focus to become more like God, a God who is focused on making a way to get you and me and every person into his circle of transforming love and grace? He is so committed to that that he actually gave his son to die on the cross for our sins, that God actually not only wants to be with you, but he's actually for you, that he invites you and me. For those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, he actually invites you to not only believe that and receive that for yourself, but to follow the example of Jesus and extend that irresistible acceptance to other people in your world, in your workplace, in your home even, and especially here in our community at church. And I know for some of us that, has, that feels like a foreign thought because perhaps you, like me, grew up under the rule of religion. And, and the tone and the context and the phraseology of religion is very, very different when it comes to the idea of acceptance than the phraseology of Jesus. And we're going to look at that today in Acts chapter 10. And so uh, we, we realize this because we look around our world and there's this sense in which we all need each other. Like there is something that is hardwired, I believe it's designed by God in your life, that you actually need other people. You've had these moments where you, you feel misunderstood or you feel alone or you feel isolated. In fact, there's been many studies, one I read this week from the University of San Diego, uh, that there is such an epidemic in our culture right now, people experiencing isolation and loneliness, that it's actually beginning to have uh, effects on our culture in terms of like mortality rate. That it says that if you live a life... You're around people, but you feel isolated. You feel alone. If you live a life for too long where you have that sense of loneliness, it actually can increase your mortality rate by 26%. 26%. To give you an equivalent, that's the same increase in mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day every day for 25 years. And so the the message is clear. If you're going to smoke, don't smoke alone. That's, that's the important message from, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but it's, just that, it's that idea, right, that there is something in us that, that wants to be seen, wants to be known, wants to be loved, wants to be understood. And when this doesn't happen, it's leading to record high suicide rates in our culture, record high prescription for anxiety and depression, people leaving their families, the closest nuclear tr- tribe that they're supposed to identify and connect with, leaving them saying, I just, I just don't fit anywhere. And perhaps for you this morning, either you or someone you know is living with that kind of feeling. Maybe you came here in a desperate hope that you would find a sense of connection. It's like, I don't know where else to go. It's not working for me at my job, my neighborhood, my family sucks. Maybe I'll try church. And, and, and maybe you hoped against hope that this would be a place that would see you, that would know you, That would be with and for you in spite of whatever dysfunction or pain or doubt or struggle you bring in to this room with you this morning. And I have good news for you that you actually picked a great place. Because we desire to be a community that follows after Jesus. The the God of the universe that says I actually see you. I'm with you and I came for you. And if we are followers of Jesus if you have placed your faith in him and said I'm going to live my life in the direction of his life and teaching, that the invitation and the expectation for you and for me is that we would become people of radical, irresistible acceptance. And I know that might feel new. And I know that perhaps even some of you are like, That doesn't quite sound like what I'm used to. So I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures, uh, because I want you to trust the Bible, not just trust me. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. If not, there's a blue Bible in the seat back pocket directly in front of you. If you're in the front row, just reach over and grab it. Uh, In this Bible, it's on page 535. And as you're turning there to give you some context, Acts is a book of the Bible that is short for the Acts of the Apostles. And it really tells the story of the like 20 to 30 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so... Uh, If you're kind of new to the scriptures, the gospels, there are four different accounts that tell the story of Jesus. One of them was written by a guy named Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and it tells this little, you know, short period of time immediately following the resurrection. So in Acts chapter 10, we're about 10 to 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And so there are people that are engaging in the story that we're going to read about, one of them named Peter, that was actually alive and followed Jesus around. So this isn't like, oh, yeah, I heard from somebody one time or I read in a book somewhere. This isn't religious tradition. This is someone who is actually there. Like Peter had a story to tell because he walked around with Jesus for three years. And so we're going to pick up this incredibly unique experience that Peter has that literally changes the trajectory of his life and of the experience of the church so much so that if this were not to have happened, you and I probably, for most of us, would not be here. And so in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9, bottom right corner of page 535 in the Blue Bible, this is what it says. Peter has been invited to uh, experience an, an encounter uh, with a guy named Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion. I forgot to mention that. And in Jewish culture, Peter's a good Jewish boy, you just don't go to the house of someone who's not Jewish. You don't do it. it it's not okay. And so he says to this uh, Roman centurion who wants to hear about the way and teachings of Jesus, thanks but no thanks, I'm going to stay, and I'm actually going to go back to Jerusalem, my safe territory. And so Peter says uh, that, and then the next day, it says in verse 9, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, meaning Jerusalem, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, as you do around noon, and wanted something to eat, but as they were preparing it, he fell asleep and fell into a trance, right? You ever had that? You're so hungry, you just kind of lay down, and then it's three o'clock, you're like, what happened? Right, so he falls asleep, and, and he has this vision. He has this dream. Now, before we get to it, I want to just acknowledge what we're about to read is kind of weird. Okay? So this disclaimer, it's a little weird. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, this kind of stuff happens. Sometimes it's weird. Uh, but we cannot possibly comprehend, unless you were raised Jewish, the ramifications and the seismic shift that is about to happen in Peter's life. So he falls asleep and he has a vision. And it says, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a giant sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice from heaven to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And so it's kind of like a Las Vegas buffet. Like half of it you're interested in, the other half you really should stay away from. That, that's kind of the situation for Peter. And he's like, what? And he knows who's talking. He knows it's God. And Peter's reaction is the right religious response. Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He was a good Jewish boy. He knew that there were so many dietary restrictions that you had to live with if you were raised Jewish. And one of them was that you don't mix, you know, different kinds of meat. You don't eat shellfish. You don't eat pork. All of these things that he was raised to, uh, to believe and to participate in. He says, I've never, ever eaten anything unclean. So if you've ever had bacon-wrapped shrimp, uh, you're grateful that you were not raised Jewish because they're delicious. Uh, and so, um, but they would be forbidden, right? And the voice came to him again a second time and says this, this is so powerful. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then this happened three times to try to get through Peter's dense head, that's my commentary, uh, and it still didn't work. And so the, the sheet, the thing was taken up to heaven. So Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision he had seen might mean. He's thinking, what the heck was that? Am I just really hungry? Is this like a, like a grumbly situation that's going to my brain? Uh, you know, you've had those moments where you have a dream and you're like, I'm not going to tell anybody about that. They're going to think I'm crazy, right? And, and he doesn't for a while, but then check out what happened. He's wondering what this vision might mean. And behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. They can't even come inside the city to where the house is. And they called to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And so Peter is in this moment where he's thinking, what the heck is going on with food and, and reptiles? Am I supposed to eat alligator? What's happening? You know, and he's thinking about what does this mean? And then all of a sudden, the people that he had rejected come looking for him. And the God of the universe says, this isn't about food. This is about how you see the world. But the lesson here is not about keeping the dietary restriction and keeping yourself clean. The, the, the message that I'm trying to communicate to you, Peter, the shift I'm trying to create in your life, the important understanding that even though you walked with Jesus for three years physically on the planet, that you still missed, is that this is actually about people. This is actually about how you see others. This is actually about the dignity and the acceptance that you extend to those that are not exactly like you. And I know, I'm the God that wrote it, I know this flips inside out the entire religious system that you were born with, that you grew up with, that you've come to work towards and try to be so good at. But this is actually what I meant all along. I don't know about you if you've ever had a moment like that where something that you knew that you knew gets all screwed up, gets all challenged and inverted even. I remember for myself in college when I was actually reading this in my own interpretation, not through someone else teaching it to me for the very first time. You see, I was raised in a church that, that taught, just like that early, you know, first part of the church, where that we, we get it so messed up so easily, that there were insiders and there were outsiders. That there were those of us that got it right, and there were those of us that got it wrong. And even though they kind of said the same words, they, they really were actually not correct, and so they were different than us, and so they should be kept away from us, and we shouldn't Spend time with them. That's, that's the culture I was raised in. And I remember sitting at my desk in my dorm room freshman year at UC Santa Barbara, reading the Bible for myself, and I get to Acts chapter 10, and I'm like, what? Like, wait, hold on. Really? And it's that same kind of feeling I bet Peter had where everything that he thought he knew, if you were to ask him that he knew he knew, was challenged and flipped inside out and upside down. Because it wasn't like Peter had been this arrogant person that made it up. He was taught from a young boy, from what we call the Old Testament, that God loved Jewish people only, or at least more. And so he thought, hey, Jesus comes along, Jesus was Jewish, we, we're doing this thing still. We kind of add on Jesus to Judaism. And all of a sudden he has this vision. And what comes after that, you may have never heard this verse before. But we look at how Peter experienced the fact that his religious system was turned inside out and upside down. I wonder what his reaction would be. This next verse in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, jump down there if you want, uh, explains the reason that you and I are even here, most of us. I'm going to read it to you in a different translation because I want it to feel like it's new because for many of us this is. It says in Acts chapter 10, Peter nearly exploded with this good news. I remember that feeling sitting at my desk going, this actually changes everything. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. Which is a challenging phrase to say when you were raised your whole life to believe you were God's favorite. And now God plays no favorites. Favorites, it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open to you. This is a powerful turning point in the story of the early followers of Jesus and what I would call the foundation of the church. Because this actually determines how we should interpret what happened when Jesus was on the planet. It, 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 this passage, this section of scripture allows us to know how we should interpret verses like John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, you've heard it or at least seen it on a poster in the end zone of a football game, RIP San Diego Chargers, right? You know, you, you've seen that verse, and people were debating at this time in history, when it said the world, does that mean the world? Or does it mean Jews? Because for thousands of years it's meant the Jewish nation. Christ died for all, Paul writes in Romans. Does, does he? Does does all mean all, or if you dig into the Greek, does it mean kind of something different? It's not really all. It's a kind of a, a chosen version of all. No, it means all. It it actually means all people. And and Peter was of the camp that was still trying to help people become Jewish before they become. Christians, which is really difficult for those of us that are gentlemen in the room, because uh, this meant there was salvation by surgery. I'll let you fill in the gap. Like, I mean, imagine that. It's like, you know, you, it's already hard enough to get men to come to church. It's like, you pull up in the minivan, <laughs> right? It's like, honey, why don't you take the kids going? I'm, just, I'm gonna hang out in the car and listen to a podcast, because, uh, you know, I'm not so sure about this whole uh, circumcision situation as an adult, right? Like, that, that is actually what was at stake. That's, that's actually what was here. Not, and it's not just about the physicality of it, it's about what it represented. That before you could come to this community of faith, not just for salvation, but more importantly for inclusion, you had to do something. You, me, had to do something to get good enough to get in. And, and when that gets radically shifted for Peter through this vision, he reacts with good news, he rejoices. You ever wonder why that is? You ever wonder why he would respond with good news? Because, again, I grew up in a church where I was trying really hard to be good. And, and maybe you have this experience in your neighborhood, or you see how your your friends or, or, or other coworkers do marriage, and you're like, you just, man, it would be easier just to, not care like they seem to not care or how they raise their kids is like let their kids just do whatever like all this these rules and, and regulations of trying to follow Jesus and and loving your neighbor as you love yourself i really just kind of want to blow off at my neighbor and just like really let him know how i feel cuz that would feel really good you know all of these things that jesus it wouldn't be easier to just do it the other way and if we're honest sometimes when i feel that way it's because i'm jealous and so peter's in that same boat where he's like i've been doing this the right way for so long this has been difficult, and now they get in without a pass, and yet he doesn't respond with jealousy. He responds with joy, and it is because he walked with Jesus. I firmly believe that is the reason that he responds to this whole shift with excitement and not resistance, is because he remembers what Jesus was like for him. See, Peter was kind of one of these guys that kind of lived with the mantra of ready, fire, aim. You, you know some of these people, right? Maybe you are some of these people. Uh, I have a tendency to be this way. He was boisterous. He was loud. But he also knows and remembers what it was like to be passed over as a young boy when it came time to have rabbis choose their disciples. Be passed over probably multiple times. So he's just like, well, I didn't make the cut, so I'll just go into the family business, become a fisherman. We, we don't realize that, but the reason that he was fishing by the time Jesus called him is because he had been skipped. He was an outsider. He was too loud or too dirty of a mouth because, you know, he was a sailor. Uh, you know, to whatever, whatever it might be, listen to the wrong kind of music or he was from the wrong part of town. He didn't make the cut. And he's fishing one day and he hears a guy yelling from the shore, hey, Peter, just come follow me. You haven't done anything for me yet. In fact, you're going to be a thorn in my side and a headache for most of these next three years. But come follow me anyways. Don't, don't get me wrong. You're going to do amazing things. But it's going to be difficult. There's actually going to be a time when, when you're going to say, I want to walk on water. And you're going to come out to me. Then you're going to sink. And I'm going to have to rescue you. But I, but I will. You know, There's going to be a time, Peter, when, when you say, this is who people say you are. But I know who you are. You're the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the answer to our prayer. And I'm going to say, you know what, Peter, you're right. And on that statement and on you personally, I'm going to build my church. And then he go, yeah, let's do it. Here's how we should do it. And then Jesus is going to say, nope, you're wrong. Get behind me, Satan, like 20 seconds later. Like that was Peter's story. And I bet you in this moment he remembers when he was so excited to stand up and be like, you know what, Jesus, Even if all of them, the other apostles, the other 11 people, and all of the followers, 172 people that were traveling around with Jesus, even if all of them leave and deny you, I will not deny you. I'm not going to do it. They're going to quit. I got your back, boss. And Jesus is going to be like, actually, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. Twice to children. You're going to be so afraid. You're going to leave me in my darkest hour. And because you didn't stand up for me, I'm going to be arrested and murdered. And you're going to have to watch, knowing that you could have done something. And so that's what happens. And Peter goes back to fishing. Well, I must have calculated that wrong. And again, similar to the very beginning of his engagement with Jesus, he's coming back from a night of fishing where he hasn't caught anything. And there's a guy standing on the shore and says, Peter, I made you breakfast gets closer and he realizes that it's Jesus, risen from the dead. Jesus looks at Peter in the eye and says, you still love me? In that moment, I can't imagine like shame and guilt he must have felt. It's like, I don't even know if my words mean anything, Jesus, but sure. Come back, feed my sheep. Peter, you still love me? Yes. Fulfill your destiny that I put in you. Be the person I told you you are. Lead. Take care of the people. Peter, you still love me. Third time. Gosh, Jesus, this is really painful. Thanks so much for asking me three times. I know why you're doing it, because I denied you three times, but this is cool. Thanks. Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. You know I do because you did something for me that I couldn't do for myself long before I even did anything good or bad for you. And clearly my... Gifts to you don't really help you all that much. And so your grace and your work and your miracle power and your restoration movement on this planet is really going to happen pretty much in spite of me. But yeah, Lord, I love you. I love you. Good. Step into your rightful place. Be who you have been created to be, who I know that you are. And Peter experiences what it's like To be accepted by Jesus long before he really accepted Jesus. And so the reason he responds with joy when he realizes that this message is now for everybody is because he knows Jesus. That's what made Jesus irresistible to Peter, and that's what makes Jesus still irresistible, I believe, to this day is that Jesus was irresistible because he accepted people before they accepted him. Jesus is irresistible because he accepted people before they accepted him. Jesus accepts you before you accept him. In spite of all of our trying, in spite of all of our forgetfulness, Jesus accepts you before you even accept him. So what does that that mean? Like, cool, great history lesson. Uh, What does that mean for us today? Like, how does this actually show up in our life Monday through Saturday and even here on Sundays at church, I actually think if we were to grab this, if we were to realize the seismic shift that Acts chapter 10 and following has in our life and in the story of the church, nothing would be the same. Not, like, like actually nothing. Because this is such a challenging space that the decision that they were talking about actually makes the question of whether we would even exist now, thousands of miles away and thousands of years later, That actually makes a difference of whether we would even be here at all. A couple years later in Acts 15, about, you know, 48 A.D. or so, about 20, 25 years after the resurrection, they're having what's called the Council of Jerusalem, where the church decides this wrestling match that they're in, do you have to become Jewish before you start following Jesus? Because what had happened was, is the Apostle Paul, you've probably heard of him, He was moving all around telling people that God has done something in the world. He sent Jesus to pay the price for your sins and mine. And so when God raised him from the dead, that means the door is wide open. That was the message Paul was saying. And Peter was on the other hand saying, yeah, but there's this thing you got to do first. And then Peter begins to then, after having this vision in Acts chapter 10, have the same story as Paul. And so there's this area down south of Jerusalem called Antioch where thousands and thousands of people who are non-Jewish, are beginning to follow Jesus, and word is getting out, and they're like, wait, 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 but are they but are they doing the Jewish law thing too, or are they just kind of being crazy, you know, fringe Christians, but they're almost there, they're close, right, and they have this thing, and so they send missionaries from Jerusalem down to Antioch to see what's happening, and in Acts chapter 15, we get a window of what's happened at the council of Jerusalem. Again, they are deciding if you and I even have a choice, to begin to follow Jesus that doesn't involve surgery, especially for the gentlemen, right? And this is what Peter says at the Council of Jerusalem. God, who knows the heart, shows us that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. That's Acts chapter 15 verse 8. That's what Peter says. And they're like, wait, a, wait a second. Peter, you've changed your tune. He goes, yeah, let me tell you about this vision I had. Let me tell you about this weird dream where this you know cloud sheet comes down and there's all kinds of stuff in it and God says go for it. And nobody would believe a crazy dream like that would have any implications unless you were Peter. <laughs> unless you had walked with Jesus for 3 years and he had said you're the one I'm going to use to plant and build my church. And so he he shares this and then James the brother of Jesus who's the leader of the Jerusalem church which don't miss this. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? I mean, I'm, I'm the oldest in my family, right? And I've been trying for as long as I can remember to get my brother and sister to listen to me and do what I say. That's normal. But then to say, like, not only am I your, like, bossy older brother, I'm actually the lord of the universe. That's a little bit of a stretch, right? And so James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after he rose from the dead. Because that's probably what it would take for your brother to convince you that he was actually the Son of God. And so James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so they're having this council, and in Acts 15, verse 9, it's up on the screen, James begins to wrap up the meeting, and he says, It is my judgment, therefore, and everybody quiets down. James, the brother of Jesus, we're going to listen to him. He he didn't believe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got any questions about Mary? He's got to ask, right? So, so he says, it is my judgment, therefore, because of all the things we've heard, including Peter's testimony of his vision, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This verse changed my life. It's, the, it's been the pivotal passage from 10 years ago that turned the direction of how I do ministry and what I believe God's called the church to become, it's frankly, most likely, knowing a little bit of my story, it's still the reason I'm even a pastor. Is because of this verse. We should not make it difficult for non-Jewish people to turn to God. We should not make it difficult for you to turn to God. We should not put unnecessary restrictions, or rules on people. We should not make it difficult. Add to what Jesus has already done. That's James's decision. And the people down in Antioch and friends, we don't really realize this because we have the gift and privilege of the perspective of history. Had he made a different decision, we may not even be here today. question for us, for you, who in your mind, if we were really honest, who in your mind isn't accepted in your life, in a community like this, like for real, or to push a, a little bit deeper. Who do you not personally take up the responsibility to make sure that they feel accepted in a community like this? Like who? Like who's not invited to your table? Like there are people in your life that that you love having over to your house for dinner, or you love going to grab a drink with, or you, it's easy for you to even to invite them to come with you to church. But then there are other people that you really hope they don't want to hang out after work. You know what I'm talking about? nervous energy. No, that never happens in my job, right? Like, it's true. We all have, we create limitations and categories that define people to say they're in and they're out with me or even with God. So it's worthy of a question. Who, Who do you resist personally making sure feels accepted? People that aren't in your socioeconomic bracket? People that aren't in your same Relational status of of married or single or with kids? People that have a different skin color than you? People that vote differently than you? People that have a different church background or flavor than you? What about people that don't seem to care about God? They're They're not really interested in the God you care about. What about the people that you've decided their choices are worse than your choices, and so they have more catching up to do than you do? See, I think the reason that Peter rejoiced when he realized that this was open to all people is because he knows how much it took for God to change his life. Because for some of us, I mean, if this is you, I'm not coming down to you, this is me too. For some of us that have been doing the Jesus thing, the longest, we're actually the hardest to get through to. Three times the voice from heaven came to Peter and he still missed it. It's been at least 303 times that God's tried to get through my thick skull on different things and I'm still missing it. Sometimes those of us that have been around it the longest, we we get categories built up in our head that, that we can define different people as hero or villain, as right or wrong, as in or out, as good or poor, who's against us and who's for us. And yet the story of Acts, specifically in chapter 10, what is trying to show us, what I believe Jesus to many of us is trying to say today is that if your theology separates you from other sinners like you, then you have some more work to do oftentimes if I think my theology separates me from other people or makes me better than them, I can have a sense of moral superiority creep in, and I think they have work to do. (laughs) Y'all got to clean up your act. Y'all got to, like, fix that before you can come on in. Y'all got to, like, decide to do something different before we can actually have this conversation. And I think what Jesus is saying so clearly to Peter, to you, and to me, is that if my theology puts a gap Between myself and the people that Jesus loves, which is all people, I got some work to do. I have some work to do. To really look at what Jesus did for me. Because, again, this is me too, right? So, what I'm not saying, just to clarify, I'm not saying we don't take a stand for what's true. Peter took plenty of stands for what's true throughout the New Testament. I'm not saying that we're not wise and discerning about what is, is, is good or is moral or is beautiful or is kind. I'm not saying any of that. We should do all that. Peter actually writes extensively about that in his letters to the church at the end of our New Testament. So I'm clearly not saying that. What I am saying is that I need to be very cautious if there ever comes a point where I find in myself that sense of moral superiority that distance the gap that expands the gap between where I am with God and where she is with God or he is with God or that whole subset of population is with God or is that group of people is with God or that church or that community that I need to be very cautious when that begins to grow in me because it does. Because what that should illuminate to me is that in that moment, I have forgotten what Jesus had to do for me. And so for those of you that are here and you're like, whoa, this is really challenging, good. Not because you're a bad person, but it will bless your life if you remember on a regular, even daily, moment-by-moment kind of level what Jesus did for you. And when you do, how you view other people, how you treat other people, How you include and accept other people, how you invite other people, how you serve other people will come more naturally to you. And when you do that, don't miss this, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is actually worship and discipleship. You are becoming more like your Savior. Because if Jesus wanted to create a country club and an inside and outside, he would have come as a conquering king and said, this is it. That's what his followers wanted him to do. But instead, he came as a suffering servant who said, I'm going to give myself for you, for the world. Yes, actually for the world, all people. And so for some of us, your homework this week is to remember that you need mercy, that I need mercy daily, and that I love and follow a God as best I know how that delights in extending mercy, just like he delighted extending mercy to Peter over and over and over again. And for some of you, perhaps others of you in this room, I don't know what your story's been. I don't even know where you would classify yourself on the spiritual spectrum, but you might be here this morning and you're going, this, this sounds a lot different than perhaps what I've heard or what I've experienced. Maybe you've been subtly or even overtly taught That because of choices you made or background that you have or orientation that you experience or your lifestyle, whatever it might be, that you got some cleaning up to do before God can accept you. That people that follow Jesus or claim to trust Jesus and trust the Bible have told you, fix that before you come with us. And I want to tell you so clearly this morning, not from me, but from the word of God, Jesus accepts you already. He, he gave too much. <laughs> he gave too much for it to not be enough for you. Like, there's nothing you can do in your life or that you can't do in your life that's going to make God love you more than he already does or love you less than he already does. Because for us, for me, Jesus gave his life For me, before any of the sins I've committed in my life happened. Any of them. And sometimes I'm like, that's a bad deal, Jesus. Like, that was a mistake. And so I know that I can have foundational trust that what Jesus did before any of my past is also good enough to cover any of my future. And so for those of you that are here this morning and you've never decided to begin a relationship with Jesus, maybe because people had taught you that God was resisting you and internally that just wore you down so much that eventually you began to resist God back and you're hearing something this morning or feeling something inside this morning. You're like, I don't know what this is, but it feels like God is doing something. If this is true, could it be? Don't miss this. God is in the business of restoration, which means he's not looking for perfect pieces or products. He actually loves your scratches and your dings and your scars. He wants to show the world his goodness, his handiwork through restoring what's always been there in our life, but that our choices create a gap and create a facade that the world can't see it. He wants to restore you. He's not asking you to come and fix yourself before you show up. He's saying, come as you are and watch what I can do with your life. And Peter and Paul and Jesus himself would tell you the same thing this morning. And so you don't have to resist anymore. In fact, if you begin to see Jesus for true, truly who he really is, I believe you will discover that he is actually irresistible. Because he invites everybody in. Including you. And so I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never Begun a relationship with Jesus. Not religion. Not interested in that. But with Jesus. The one who says, I'm, I'm accepted you before you've accepted me. I want to give you a chance to do that. So why don't we stand together if you're able. And, and I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical uh, about the words of this prayer. But it's about the posture of your heart to say, God, if this is, if this is true, this is good news. If this is, if this is true. Maybe there's something for this, for me. And so I want to invite you to just close our eyes, and and if you would, just open up your hands as a posture of receptiveness. And for those of you that have begun a relationship with Jesus, would you be praying that this next few moments is a trajectory, eternity-altering moment for some people? Let's just close our eyes, and, and if you have never prayed to begin a relationship with the irresistible Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that. So simply repeat in your own words perhaps in the quietness of your own soul something like this. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to do anything for you to accept me. In fact, the best news of all is that even before I did anything to separate us you did everything it took to bring us back together. And so thank you I admit that I've made choices that have created a gap, that have, have missed your best for my life because I was never able to really do that anyways. But that you, Jesus, are the only one that can bridge that gap. And so as best I know how, I, I bring my whole self to you, saying that you can have it all, all the dings and the dents, the scars and the things that still haunt me that I can't seem to figure out, and and I would ask that you would restore me, Jesus, you would give me a fresh start, a new beginning. Because you accept me, I accept you. Thank you that you went first. Help me to understand what it means to follow after you and to extend the acceptance you've now shown me. those around me thank you jesus in your name i pray amen amen and for those of you that maybe that was the first time you've prayed that or maybe you've drifted from god and you prayed it as a kind of a coming back to this reality that i'm accepted by god i want to invite you to take a risk because we want to be the kind of community that accepts people and, and celebrates when they make a huge decision so if you prayed that for the first time, or in a way to come back, would you just slip up your hand so that we can celebrate you so I can see you? Let me pray that for the first time. There's so one back there. Awesome. It's fabulous. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just in case you are and I can't see you, there's a do us a favor before you go. This is little, but there's a connection card that Michael mentioned in the Bible in the seat back pocket. Would you grab that and just let us know? your name and, and email. We're not going to spam you, but there's a checkbox on the back. Say, I began a relationship with Jesus and I'd love to talk to somebody. We would love to help you in this journey because you're not meant to do this alone. And we want to be with you and for you. And, and so, like I said, it, it's not weird, but we just love to follow up with you and help in any way that we can because we want to be the kind of community that people are accepted so that they can begin to follow Jesus. But Jesus always starts with acceptance. So I want us to be the kind of church that does that same thing. Because he actually delights in showing mercy. And I need it, and so do you. And so we're going to do something that we do every time we come together as we continue in our worship gathering. We're going to sing, and we're going to have a prayer team in the back. If you need someone to have someone speak to name of Jesus in an area of your life, or maybe you need hope, or just need someone to see you. Maybe God's done something powerful and awesome in your story this week, and you want to just give him praise because you know you didn't do it yourself. Would you head back there and get some prayer? And we're also going to receive our offering. And as we give together, for those of you that call this church your home and you give consistently, I just want to say thank you. Like truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Because the person that raised their hand and maybe some others that didn't have the courage to do that today, there are people in their life that have been praying perhaps for years. And they would have given anything for this moment to happen. And the four people that started to follow Jesus at the 9 a.m. gathering, I know some of their stories. And they have people in their life that wish they could give more and more and more to make that possible. So when you invest in what God is doing here, it is literally for that purpose, to see lives transformed, to create a space where restoration is possible. And I just want you to look around. Because it's July. And when I grew up, we didn't go to church in July. We had other better things to do. And there are better things that you could be doing. But 9 o'clock was packed. And look, I mean, this is July. God is doing something in this place. Slowly but surely, people are beginning to experience what he's doing in their life. And many of you have experienced that. And this week, over 100 children are going to be all over this building. It's going to be an impossible workplace environment. Uh, But it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful because eternity is going to shift. And it's because of your generosity. So as we give... You know there's four ways you can do that. There's buckets coming down your aisle now with our volunteers. You can text the number on the screen behind me. There's a kiosk in the back. You can give securely that way or you can set up online giving that just really happens in your life. But for those of you that are investing in this mission, thank you, truly. I cannot say thank you enough. And so let's celebrate, give with joy. Let's sing out together that we have a God who delights in showing mercy for you and for me. And that should change how we engage with him you are not grateful for what God has done in your life, take a few moments. Think about what he's brought you through. Think about what he's saved you from. Think about the fact that you don't have to figure it out on your own. And if that doesn't rise up some volume in your song and joy in your soul, maybe check your pulse because the God of the universe says, I see you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I delight in you gave myself for you. So let's offer up our very best to God together. Because you delight in truth.